This is Angela, and this is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading, and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Manapro Homestead. Animals are an important part of our lives. That's why we help them grow and thrive, treating them as well as they treat us to make their lives as best as they can be. Manapro, nurturing life. Visit manapro.com and follow us at Manapro Homestead. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. This is Angela speaking. And of course, I have Mandy here with me. Hello. Hello. How How are you? I'm good. How are we doing today? Hanging in there, doing good. Good. Um, We are recording this on a Monday morning. Do you have a case of the Mondays? You know, it's always, it's hard to kind of get get going. Um, mm-hmm. they, the day always starts way too early on a Monday, but, uh, here we are chores are done. So I feel, I feel ready for the day. That's good. Okay. Well, I'm a little stressed out this morning. This episode is timely because I have gosling eggs in my incubator and I'm going to tell you something. We are at the end of the line here. Like there's a late one and I'm freaking out a little bit. And it doesn't matter how many times you hatch, it's always stressful because you can't see what the hell is going on underneath that eggshell. And so mm-hmm. today we are going to talk about hatching. We'll, we'll go through kind of the ABCs of it. What are the pros? What are the cons? Why you might not want to do it and just kind of let mama hen take the reins. And uh, I think it's for sure, Mandy, you've hatched more than I have. Yeah, I, I mean... Probably, maybe, maybe goslings or, or geese for sure, but that's because I think I have a slight addiction. <laughs> so, I think today, let's go ahead and get started. We're going to talk about chickens. We're going to talk about yeah. ducks. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about geese. Many of you may be interested in hatching turkey, quail. I don't know, maybe guinea fowl. Um, yes. I think a lot of these things. It's important to remember is humidity is going to be pretty much the same across the board. Temperature is probably going to be very similar across the board. Really the only um, fluctuation, the only difference in all of these different species is incubation time. And the best thing to do is look at your manual. All incubators are different that you might purchase. We'll talk about that a little more, but um, how do we pick the right incubator? Yeah. Like you said, that's a really good point. I mean, you're, you're, I just ordered another incubator. And so this is also very timely. So uh, they do, they come with manuals and they are very, very helpful. I think as we go through this morning or today, um, it much like with everything that we kind of talk about, I think, and this might be a personal opinion that we interfere too much. Right. And so Taking it all the way back to just the basics, and Angela said, just reviewing your manual, it's going to just have the very basic information, and it really, it's all you need. Um, most of the other, um, I guess, like pieces or chapters of all the, you know, the incubation, the stuff that you will read online or talk with somebody about, that is awesome, but that's also really going to come with experience. Um, so, yeah, picking again, picking an incubator doesn't have to be hard or anything like that. I think that it's, um, 
it, it kind of depends on your comfort level first and foremost, but, uh, how much money you want to spend if we're being totally honest. And then it, you know, is this, but, but taking into consideration too, um, is this something that you're just doing for fun? I mean, are you doing it just, you know, for replacement hens or what have you, you know, or a, a fun experiment with your children? Um, or is this actually like a business model? Um, and so it, it matters, um, vastly when it comes to the, the choices that you have when you are choosing, um, online, because most of these things are going to be purchased online really you're going to see kind of like three different um models if you will and then really there are only two types of incubators so you'll see like just like a simple styrofoam model they're very basic you can get them pretty much everywhere um truth be told they work they work fine um incubators and that will have an auto turner it's kind of like your next little upgrade most of those are also still going to be styrofoam for the most part, or, or a lot of them will be. Um, and those, I mean, auto turners are just kind of like a, a game changer to be totally true. Do you use them? I don't because the auto turner, I guess you call them racks or, yeah. you know, yeah. like it, they're, they're racks essentially that you set the eggs on and, you know, it rotates them for you. Um, we, we'll talk about what rotation is and why you need to do it. But um my duck eggs, they're too big. So yeah. They're, they're more formatted for a chicken egg. Yeah. I only do it with chicken eggs. I don't do them with ducks and I yeah. don't definitely don't do it with, with geese, um, mm -hmm. because they're just way too big. Um, so, but you know, for first timers, it's probably a great thing. I mean, it kind of takes out one of those, it, if you're doing with, with chickens, it kind of takes out that, you know, fear of, getting in there, opening the incubator, having to turn them, you know, there it's, it's, it's fearful a little bit when, when you're first starting or the first time you're so delicate with it. And I think we're both here to say it's, they're, they're not, that, they're not as delicate as they might seem. So, um, like we were saying, the incubators with auto turners, and then you bump up like a huge, a huge octave and you see like these cabinet style incubators, which most, ha well, all hatcheries have. Um, but, you know, hobby home setters, hobby farmers can also invest in things like this, especially if you breed. These just allow obviously for more space. Um, you hatch a little bit different. They literally are like, um, drawers if you can kind of picture um opening a door um and you pull out like if if you had something in your kitchen that was like a cabinet and you open the cabinet and then you like pull out the individual drawers and that's where you would hatch maybe different breeds or something like that and you pull it out and there's all those baby chicks so those those are kind of the I guess the visual of what you're going to see if you're like typing it into Google to search for them. Now they're like we were saying, <clears throat> excuse me, there are two basic styles of incubators. So you'll see, you know, the cabinet, the seraphim, whatever verbiage, but you will see also then forced air and still air incubators. Um, forced air incubators have fans that provide the air circulation um, internally in the incubator. So they, most of your like very, very small incubators are ones that will maybe only hatch a few. Like there are some that will only hatch like seven eggs. Most of them won't be a forced air. 
the still air incubators are smaller, like I just said, and they don't have the fan to help with circulation. So it's kind of like just a, like a hot box. Um, they're not as common. You, I haven't really seen, I've never used um, a still air incubator. I've only ever used forest air. Um, the thing here, you all, is we're trying to mimic what it, when when we're incubating, and we will back up here in a minute and kind of talk about the pros and the cons of of um, incubating versus letting your broody bird sit. Um, or you're trying to mimic what it would be like in real life, right? Um, so less is more um, when it comes to stuff like this. And I think that the more simple incubators require more human intervention because you are constantly having to mess with the settings. Most of the time you're not getting them right. It really, um, does make a difference when you talk about your still air incubators. They're a little bit trickier to use. Um, because they don't have that air circulation. So you really have to be very precise um, with your heat and your humidity. And even in that small little, whatever it is, we'll just say 12 by 20 box, um, the placement of eggs, it will be different. Um, the ambient temperature inside is going to be different in one pocket versus another. So it is, it's, it's, it's trickier and maybe steer you away from that. It's funny because I do have styrofoam 39.99 like I think it's called Farmers Innovation or something is the brand. Very basic incubator. Mm -hmm. I have really great success with it, but the hands-on time is quite a bit more. I do leave it right on my kitchen counter because then it's always like otherwise it's out of sight, out of mind, right? So it's right. always within reach. I'm not necessarily, it doesn't have an alarm that's audible. It has a, like a light that blinks if the humidity is off or the temperature is off. There is quite a bit of intervention, if you will, on a day-to-day -day basis, making sure that I'm maintaining the humidity. It does not have forced air. So if it gets too hot, I better make sure that I'm there. I mean, it will, it will work to drop the temperature, but I open the lid, you know, cause it's going to cool obviously more quickly if I pop that lid open for a second than it is if I allow the incubator to do it on its own. Right. I think though, again, and we're going to repeat this over and over mother ducks, geese, chickens. Mm -hmm. It is not a picture perfect. They turn every single egg every single day, multiple times a day underneath their bellies. It's not possible for every single egg to be touched and got in contact with a spherical bird belly and receive the same amount of humidity, which kind of goes into why they circulate their eggs, right? They know that they're kind of moving the ones from the outside to the inside and the ones from the inside end up on the outside. And so I think it's just really, again, trying to remember that it, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. And you have to know not every egg is going to hatch. I did have a 100% hatch rate once, which is like unheard of. That's not, that's not normal. We usually think, I think anything above 85% is good. I would agree. I would yeah. definitely agree. I would think it even goes down a little bit when you talk about hatching waterfowl, because they're, I mean, like Angela mentioned in the beginning, Pretty much across the board, your temperature is going to stay the same. Now, I will, since we're talking about types of incubators, I will say when you are incubating um, with a still air incubator, um, 
you, it's a higher temperature. Um, but again, it's going to come with the settings of, of everything. Um, or with, with any incubator you buy, right. Which is why you should read your manual. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But in general, I mean, we, I cut it right in the middle, 99.5 degrees Fahrenheit. So anywhere between 99 and hundred, which is about 37 degrees Celsius are optimal for incubators, um, with a fan with forced air. And then you're up a little bit more. So temperature is about 100 to 103 is usually what you see for still air incubators. Um, but again, yes, read, read your manual. So those, I mean, that, that's really going to be what you see when, when you're searching. And like Angela said, she has just a very basic, I don't have a cabinet. I don't have anything like that. I don't even have, um, and I, we should know like none of this is the, these incubator choices that we're making. None of them are sponsored. They're just literally what we've, we've yeah. used. Right. Um, I really like the, I don't actually even, oh, it's a GQ. I don't know if it's a GQF. I would, I will, we can put all this in notes, but it's called the Hobivator, which is a hilarious name, 1588. And that's what it is. The incubator. I think it's a GQF model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's the styrofoam, but it, um, it has a fan. It's not a still air. It's forced air. But it was 15 bucks. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, that's what the, that's hilarious. Oh, that's the model. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we clarified. <laughs> hilarious. No, it wasn't $15, but $15 gosh, I $15 really... and 88 cents. I'm like, wow, she was really impressed with that price and remembers <laughs> it to a T. I mean, maybe I can tell Casey it was $15, there but you go. it was not $15. Um, <laughs> okay, so... Yeah. Um, okay. So what do you, you, you want to hatch, you have your, you, you've chosen your incubator or whatnot. I think it's important to note that, um, and again, temperature and humidity are really the key things here. And we'll put all of those stats in our show notes, but I think uh, a lot of times too, um, you'll see in a lot of blogs or publications, things like that. It is really important for you to turn that incubator on in the place that you want it to be. We always turn ours on about 24 hours before you put eggs in. It's just so you can get it warmed up, regulated, you see what those numbers are going to look like because it's different based off of A, a region in the world and B, where you put it in your house. Yeah. Um, and I guess C, the time of the year it is too, yes. not just region. So we hatch in the basement. Um, so it's colder and darker and it's just kind of, you know, where it's where our shop is. It's just kind of an easy out of the way place. Um, but because it's colder, the humidity is lower also down there in the basement. We have a ranch style house. So it's important to kind of get, get with those fluctuations in temperatures. And then when you put your eggs in, a lot of people just like immediately panic, right? You set your incubator up and, um, it's, it looks like it's ready to go. You put however many eggs in and then your temperature is going to drop. Your humidity is going to drop. Some incubators will have like alarms on them. It's going to start screaming at you and you're going to be like, what the hell? Like I, you know, I did everything right. That's totally normal. It has to, you've put stuff in there, right. That is now impacting the temperature and humidity. It has to get regulated again. Don't mess with your controls. Okay. So you've 
You've got it where it needs to be without any eggs. Put your eggs in. It's going to most of the time, really most of the time, go back to where you want it to be. You got to give it like a day or so. So again, I think that, and chime in, I don't know. I think that this goes back to, again, with us kind of interfering a little bit too much, right? So long before we even had incubators, long before we had barns, long before we had ultrasound machines, you know, all of these things, all of these, you know, practices that are happening with our animals, they still were happening. So um, I always just really like to keep that in mind with everything that we do on our homestead, whether that is, you know, goat kids, incubating eggs, whatever. Step back before, you know, making those rash decisions or, you know, in this situation for this purpose, opening your incubator or messing with those controls, just kind of step back and take a deep breath and just see what happens. Get it. Nothing is going to be majorly impacted if you let that machine sit for a few hours and see what happens. That's just my little piece of advice. Well, and a couple of stories too, you know, we, we've been talking about picking out your incubator and now we're kind of transitioning into the conversation about the logistics of, of getting from point A of setting the eggs to point B of having them hatch. But before, and if you're already feeling overwhelmed, let's just do a few quick inspirational stories. So number one, Mm-hmm. Um, this was outside middle of summer, July. I walk outside one day. I have baby ducks uh-huh. running at me that I have no idea where their nest was. I have no idea who they belong to. All of a sudden it's like, God just went ahead and dropped a couple baby ducklings in the yard. You know what? Yeah. It was hot enough. It was warm enough. I guarantee that temperature fluctuated overnight. Those baby ducks were still born. I did not have any ducklings sitting. It just happened to be warm enough and humid enough outside that it could coddle the eggs enough that they could thrive. So there was fluctuation. Number two, I have a friend who thought an egg was dead, put it in a garbage bag out in the barn. It hatched and she heard peeping coming from the garbage bag. Uh, number three, I was reading a blog post, John Metzer of Metzer Farms, mm-hmm. incubated duck eggs for 17 days for, I think it's called Blute. I could be pronouncing it wrong. It's the uh, yes. delicacy in some countries where they eat the developed embryo. Pulled the eggs at 17 days, packaged up 150, put them in a box at room temperature. Those partially developed eggs sat for 48 hours before the order was canceled. And on a whim, he's like, I'm just gonna put these back in the incubator and see if they hatch. Mm -hmm. They hatched a day late with a 75% hatch rate. So they had not been incubated at all with any sort of humidity whatsoever, other than room temperature for 48 hours and they still hatched. So these are sort of the things that Mandy and I are talking about when we're saying, you know, there's a lot of nature here versus nurture. Um, The other thing that we really need to keep in mind before we get any further into the logistics of hatching is you can coddle these eggs to death. And just keep in mind that just with human pregnancies, lamb, goats, anything, sometimes nature aborts the baby, the embryo, the fetus for a reason, right? And so we don't need to beat ourselves up and say, well, my humidity wasn't perfect. My temperature fluctuated that day. And that's why this didn't hatch. No, sometimes nature just takes its course and that was never meant to hatch to begin with. So do keep that in mind as we start talking about these things. Um, 
Okay, so we've got our incubator, we've opened it up, we have set our humidity, we've set our te temperature to go for the number of desired days based on our species. Now what? <laughs> now it's like, what do you do? Do you walk away? I think this totally, um, it, it depends on, like we said in the very beginning, do you have an auto turner or not? Um, I think we can kind of verbalize here a little bit of differences and we can put them also in show notes, but, um, so yeah, now what? So with chickens or how I do it, I guess. And I mean, just because I'm saying how I do it doesn't mean it's the right way. Um, like I mentioned, we use auto turner, really the temperature stays the same. You do not mess with it at all. The only thing I'm watching on that incubator is to keep the humidity right about eh, 45, 50 ish, um, percent. Again, don't get too hung up. I mean, the numbers do matter. They do, they do, but don't get too hung up on 42 versus 48 or something like that. There, there's a range. Um, and the science behind that is, uh, I mean, you don't want it, I guess, basically to be too low. Um, it will kind of dry the egg out. You don't want it to be too high. It will drown. It will drown that embryo in the egg. So that's why there's, there's a range, but that's why you have to kind of keep it in that range. So really the only thing I'm watching is that humidity. Um, I don't know if now is a good time to say just really quickly chickens 21 days incubation period most of our duck species waterfowl i guess we could kind of potentially even lump it all together about 28 days um, geese are a little bit longer um, depending on which publication you look at some will say about 28 to 35 it is dependent a little bit on breed our smaller breeds of of geese will hatch a little bit sooner um, your larger breeds, like your dewlaps and things like that, um, are going to hatch a little bit later. If you listen to just the goose geese keeping episode, we both raised basketballs mainly. And in my experience, they hatch right there in the middle. They're kind of a smaller, medium, smaller, I would say more than medium, but yeah. size bird. And um, my sweet spot is about 31, 32 days. Um, same with your ducks. They're going to be 28 days besides Muscovies. Um, and they're 35. Um, don't ask me why. The Muscovies are 35. Yeah. They're Yeah. I, I didn't know. know that. That's interesting. Yeah. Now I'm like panicking. Is that wrong or right? But I'm, <laughs> I'm 99% sure that's right. Um, and again, I don't know why I can do some research and maybe put some stuff in notes, but that's just what nature decided. Um, so, you know, all those, those days are important because like Angela said, a lot of times you can, you can set that on your incubator and then it literally like takes ever, all of like the human effort out. It counts down the days for you. Um, Cause trust me, I've been there. I've had to like scroll back through my photos or my videos and been like, Oh my gosh, when did I put these eggs in? I mean, am I at day 14 or am I at day 21? Like, what mm -hmm. is it? Mm -hmm. Um, so that with, um, waterfowl, because we don't use auto turners, our humidity is going to be kept a little bit higher because in the main reason there is again, just kind of like take it back to the basics. You all think about it, your waterfowl. So you're using your ducks. What we're talking about right now, they swim every day or mostly, or, you know, or at least as often as they can. Right. Um, as your setup will allow them to, and they're not like, <laughs> 
drying before they get back on their nest. So they are, those eggs naturally um, are going to survive and actually thrive and need a little bit higher humidity. Um, and I, I don't know that we want to get into like all of the nitty gritty. I will say that with waterfowl, because remember a little bit longer, longer incubation, humidity is a little bit higher. Um, so with all this, like your lockdown days are going to change. And again, all these numbers and notes will be in the, the show notes. Um, but some folks will, again, we're trying to mimic what it would be like in nature, um, kind of spritz your waterfowl eggs. We start doing that at day seven. I do not do it before day seven. I have just, that's just what we do. Um, wrong or right. It gives us great results and we're starting to mimic what it would be like when that mother goose or duck would start or hen would start to get off um, the nest, go swim and come back. Um, so we yeah. do something similar. What I do rather than spritz is I usually have to add water to my incubator in order to keep that humidity maintained every single day. And yeah. so I just drizzle the water yep. right yep. over the tops of the eggs. So I don't even have a spray bottle nearby. I just drop water right on there. And if you remember in the beginning, we said there's racks in an incubator that will come for turning. Um, I take those out because I have duck eggs and not chicken eggs. I don't have chickens. The only things I've ever hatched are ducks and geese. So they are laying flat, right? They're not like sitting upright. They're not sitting at an angle in on a rack. They're laying flat and I just drizzle the water right over them. Water that then drips off of the egg goes right into these they kind of look like reservoir trays in the bottom of the incubator. And that's where the water accumulates and helps to kind of steam off. You know, it evaporates into the air of the incubator over time. Um, so you don't have to use a spray bottle. I know a lot of people that do. Yeah. I personally just do the lazy route and just dump water right over the eggs. No, I've done that too. I actually have like a, and it's hilarious what we all come up with, right? I have a big 60cc syringe with a red rubber which I mean, this sounds, this sounds gross. That sounded disgusting for me to say, but this is all just medical equipment that we have around the house. Remember we're with both nurses and, um, there's like a hole in the top of the incubator. And if I open the incubator and I'm not afraid to take the top off multiple times a day, but I, in the beginning I was, but I would, um, this actually really comes into the most benefit during lockdown when you do not open the incubator. Repeat, don't open the incubator when you lock down your eggs. We're going to talk, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second. But um, I have this like tube that is, um, I can stick down in the hole because it's skinny enough. And I can, I can squirt water on the eggs without opening. You just kind of have to like get get creative with it. And for waterfowl, um, that's helpful because when we are in lockdown, I guess we can kind of move into that. Um, you bump that humidity up much more than you do with chickens because they have water, right? So that's just kind of like the, the main thing to, to keep in mind. They are much bigger in that shell. They, um, the eggs are, I guess, stickier, if you will. And so they require that higher level of humidity because a lot of times the, the bird will get stuck in the shell because they dry out quicker. So if you, um, 
that that's how we kind of help keep the shell, I guess, moist in a way without opening the incubator. Now, I don't know. Do you want to, why, why don't we open the incubator? I mean, like that, that's all of these things we're kind of like going through and just kind of having a fluid conversation about hatching. And it's just kind mm-hmm. of like popping in my mind about all these things to kind of, I want folks to know why, once we lock down the eggs, so lockdown again, you all is, or I guess for the first time, I don't think we've talked about it is after a certain period of time, you stop turning your eggs. So whether you have an auto turner or like with Angela, she'll stop actually physically turning the eggs. And it's mm-hmm. kind of just like, um, getting that egg in position and ready to hatch. Well, okay. So if we want to go have a little bit of a science lesson about the egg inside your eggshell, you have an inner membrane. And when the duck or geese or chicken is close to their hatch date. So let's just refer back to ducks. Cause that's what I do. And I'm familiar with around day 28, they are going to start doing an internal pip chicks, ducklings, goslings. They all have this little rhino horn, a little sharp thing on top of their beaks. And that's the tool that they use to work their way out of the egg. They use that to do an internal pip, an internal crack through that inner membrane. They have to get through that first before they even can think about coming out of the shell. When you get near day 27, 28 for ducks, um, they're working on that inner pip. We don't want to be candling at that time. We don't really want to be handling them. We don't want to be opening the incubator. The reason is because when they're working on that internal pip and getting closer and closer to the external pip of the shell, we can disorient them and they can sort of lose their weight. It takes a lot of energy for these guys to Mm -hmm. hatch. So what we have to do is just sort of let them be, keep the humidity high so that the shell remains soft because shells are porous. And then we also just want to try to keep that temperature just right because when they're inside versus coming outside and air starts to come in through the egg, um, that's when the baby starts to self-regulate its body temperature and they cannot, they can, they cannot regulate their temperature below 99.5. It just gets too cold. And now their body energy is going towards keeping them warm as opposed to trying to facilitate helping them hatch. So we, that's why we lock it down. We're really just yeah. trying to give them an ideal environment so they already have a leg up on hatching. Yeah, Angela mentioned like the, it, that's a perfect way to, it's called the egg tooth, but it literally looks like this tiny little like horn on the yeah. end of their beak or whatever. And yeah, so they do the internal pip and then they pip. So when we lock down, like Angela was just saying, we're just kind of getting them all, all ready for that. You want... <laughs> And and as you hatch and as you go through all these things, I encourage you, I mean, we encourage you to take notes. I mean, because it, it, it's only just like we do in our gardens and things like that, or how we keep track of, um, kidding or lambing, you know, or whatever it is, take notes because it will, you know, it, most of the time now, unless you're doing it year round, but a lot of us are either hatching in the spring or the fall. So your temperatures are kind of going to be relatively the same and so on and so forth. So when you're taking notes kind of of what you're doing and what works, um, that way you can, you know, make, make changes as it goes. So chickens, when it comes to locking down your temperature humidity, all these things that we're talking about, I would say as a, 
uh, species are the most forgiving geese, ducks. Now you get into like Turkey, you know, guineas. I would say that they're the least forgiving your, your waterfowl, I should say are the least forgiving chickens. They, I don't know. I, they're just, they're just easier to hatch. They, they're just easier to hatch in my, in my opinion. Um, but back to the pipping, cause it's like the most exciting part. Right. Um, and we're not going to get into the science of all the different, and I wish that we could put pictures up. Like, I wish that this was like live and we could show like graphics, but there are tons of good information and we can put some book resources and stuff like that too. Um, but you have a internal PIP and then you have a PIP. So the, the pipping, the actual pipping of the shell is act, like pecking through the shell. Um, and for chickens, you expect to see the pipping and then the zipping. Who came up with this? I don't know, I don't but know. it's adorable. But like, <laughs> it's, easy, it's really easy to remember. Um, you want to see them pip and zip. You really want to see that process taking place in about 24 hours. That doesn't mean that they're going to totally hatch in about 24 hours, but you need to see progress. If you don't see progress then you got a problem. It's a little bit longer with your waterfowl because they are bigger. They take up way more space in that shell. And um, yeah, so for pipping, chicken pipping, the internal begins on day 18, which is why we lock it down and we stop messing with them. You really, they're going to be pipping where the air sac is in the shell. And that's going to be at the larger or the wider end of the shell. Um, and that that typically happens um, if they pip on the other side, it's just going to be much harder for them to hatch. So it's like possible they can it's hatch. Possible. It's like, it's like a breached birth yes. for human babies. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's totally possible. Sometimes they require some intervention and, and we, you know, um, there's a lot of, I don't want to use the word controversy because that seems really dramatic, but, um, we don't typically assist with a hatch um, and anything besides goslings and, and usually in my experience, I've only had to assist with a few or maybe like a handful. They, um, they kind of have like leg issues or they're just weaker and some, you know, we, most of the time they're, they're not going to survive, but okay. Numbers going back to the numbers. So your chicken pipping day 18, duck pipping day 25, Goose pipping about day 27. And then for your turkey and your guinea, because we kind of touched on that at the beginning, those pippings are about 24, 25. So this all just has to coincide with when you're stop messing with the eggs, stop touching them. Um, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just like such a nature is just such a very interesting um, and it's so cool to watch. This is like the most exciting part about incubating because you, you, you go for, you know, a month or whatever, and you're messing with all this stuff. And then it actually starts to happen. And I mean, I've had chickens pip and zip in like hours. Um, and some take a little bit longer. So I think, you know, we've covered that. Unfortunately, we, a lot of this is variability, right? Because we have a general guideline for incubation times and temperatures and humidity. But again, refer to your manual when it comes to mm -hmm. the actual logistics of setting your eggs and working your dials or your controls. Um, that's going to be model based. So 
know obviously the species you're hatching and their humidity and temperature requirements, and then cross-reference that with your manual for your particular incubator that you've chosen. And that's gonna give you the answers to exactly what you're doing. Um, we've talked about setting eggs. We've talked about incubator options. We've talked about hatching and looking at it, assisted hatches. I think maybe real quick, we could do some quick troubleshooting. I know that our episode here is getting long, but I think one of the first things that some newbies might run into is they say, well, I set my incubator. These particular eggs over here didn't hatch. Why is that? Well, do you know that they're fertile? And that's why we do candling. An infertile egg will not hatch because it's not been fertilized. So you hear candling a lot. We've mentioned that a few times here. After day seven, in some species before then, but really day seven is a good rule of thumb for any any species, waterfowl or chicken. Um, you can hold a flashlight. Most incubators come with them, but you're looking, is it 1200 lumens, I think? 1200 lumens is yeah. most of them. You need at least that. Yeah. So you can't just like most of the, you can't just go get like a flashlight, you know, like a big, yeah. whatever. They need to be specific. It needs to be very specific. That's when at day seven, you would take your minimum 1200 lumen flashlight. You can go into a dark closet. You can wait and do it in the evening, but you would set the, the large round end on the top of your flashlight. Mm-hmm. And the idea is the light from the flashlight is flooding the inside of the shell, and you'll be able to see what's going on in there. Um, Do make sure to Google pictures of the species that you're hatching because you'll be able to see what um, a fertile versus an unfertilized egg looks like. Usually you'll be able to see by day seven, a red dot and or some veins. And that indicates that your egg is fertile and it is starting to develop. And we continue the candling process throughout the entire incubation time up until the very end, because it is sort of um, a way to get peace of mind as to whether or not your bird is doing okay. If you see movement um, towards the end, after day five, when you're no longer candling, you can very quickly do a stethoscope and you should be able to hear a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. But it allows us to know the position of the bird, just like an ultrasound allows us to see if there's movement and that that's what we're looking for. We're, we're looking to make sure that the bird is actually developing. Yeah. Just, just like looking for fertility pictures and, and what the gestation um, positions look like inside of your egg, do find a chart online. You also want to be aware of what dead, no longer developing embryos look like, because that is going to help you discern what is normal and what is not. Something that is not is going to stink it is going to look like a large mass when you candle and you don't want to just let those sit in there in the incubator because they will explode. So that is yeah. not a smell that is easy to get rid of in your house. You want to make sure that you're really paying attention to the health of the embryos inside your eggs. So again, start candling after day seven. Yeah, that's really, I mean, everybody wants to kind of get um, so excited and, and candle, but like Angela said, one week, you're going to start to see most, most all species, that's when you're going to start to see the development. Um, and, you know, as you get your skill up with darker eggs and all types of things like that, you'll start to just like, you can tell too, um the like the the air sacs and the weight of the egg and things like that but we don't want to completely overwhelm I think 
this is, you know, very timely because a lot of people are starting to hatch. I think this, as we uh, talked in multiple previous episodes, you know, kind of like the movement, if you will, of homesteading and wanting to kind of like take back your, you know, food supply and all types of things like this. It's, it's so exciting. It's just, this is one of the most um, exciting pieces I think about raising any type of bird is then taking it to the next level and being able to incubate. Um, it saves money in the long run. Um, and it's just a very neat experiment. So we will put a lot of these notes, a lot of these numbers, temperature, humidity, all of that types of um, information that we've kind of quickly run through in show notes. We're always here. And um, gosh, cheers to a, a good week, you all. Happy hatching. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at Homestead Education Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axeandroothomestead. Mandy can also be found online at thefarmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.